0: Good morning, Docs Church. It is great to see you guys, great to be together. Because if you're, if you're new, you haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Rob, one of the pastors here. It's great to have you part of the, the Doxa family today, but you joined us on a day where we are starting a new teaching series. Uh, through the letter of Philippians, all right? This is actually like my my favorite book in the Bible, and so I'm excited to spend the next couple months just going through this and just kind of anticipating God doing a, a lot in the life of our of our church. And really, just kind of, I'm excited to see as we open up the Bible like we do every t- single time that we gather like this, what God is going to continue to do and shaping us and forming us more and more into the image of Jesus. But as you walked in here, okay, you got one of these. All right, I want you to go ahead and grab that, and let me explain why. You you actually got this, okay? As we, as we gather like this on Sundays, all right, we, we gather to, to worship God for who he is and all that he's done through the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we do this as we gather like this by singing songs, and we celebrate baptisms, we take communion, we pray, and we do this all together as the, the family of God. But in addition to this, all right, we also gather, and we gather around the Bible, to, to meet with God, to hear from God, that we believe that the Bible is a book that God wrote, breathed out by him for our good, to teach us about who he is, who we are, and the reality and the truth of the world that we live in. And, and what you have in front of you, okay, is really just the letter of Philippians in journal format, okay? And we wanted to get this, and I'm excited to give this to you today for really two specific reasons. As we journey through this, All right, number one, we wanted everybody to just have God's words to us through Philippians in hand, that we could be reading this together, studying this together, and so the best gift that we could give you is the gift of God's word. We're going to be spending the next 10 weeks in this, and so that's one of our primary goals in this. The second thing, though, as we studied this letter together, all right, I really just kind of want to reinforce and encourage, like, just engagement with God as we hear the Bible taught. All right, because we got to remember that when the Bible is opened up and when the Bible is read and when the Bible is preached, doxa, God speaks. And as God speaks, we listen, but we, we do so, we listen in a way that we acknowledge the fact that we can be forgetful and we can also be just really distracted right? And there's a lot of stuff going on that sometimes our life just feels like we're in a snow globe that got shaken up and we can be like, oh my gosh, I encountered God today. That was so encouraging. And then you get in the car and you're like, what did he say again? Right? And you remember a joke and not something about the Bible. So we want to give you this to say, hey, let's engage in the discipline of journaling and note-taking and see what God might do over the next 10 weeks as we, as we study this. And so this can be something that, that you write insights and learnings down that you can then revisit in connection group and even in the months in the years to come. So find your way to Philippians chapter 1. We have 11 verses today. Right, and before we dive into that, let me, let me just start, guys, I, that I believe, I really believe that You know, Philippians is gonna be incredible for the life of our church. I think it's gonna have a profound impact and just really excited to get into this, and I know that maybe you're thinking like, you're a pastor, we get it, you have to be excited about every book of the Bible, but guys, I really actually am specifically excited about Philippians, all right? Four main reasons, okay? Number one, guys, Philippians is a joy-producing book. It really is, all right? Paul wrote this to encourage the Philippians and to urge them to rejoice in the Lord, and joy is something that we all want, Right, We all look for, as, but we're just living in a world that is filled with stress and suffering and sin and anxiety. And the, quite honestly, guys, I don't know if you're anything like me, but joy and peace can be one of those things that just feels like it's just stifled because of everything we experience in life. Philippians is written to point us to a joy that cannot be stopped, a joy that cannot be stolen regardless of what we experience in our daily lives. The second thing is that Philippians is a gospel-focused book. All right, this is a letter that contains some like great theological truths and really just informs us of who God is, who we are, and he will show us. Paul is going to show us that why we are just restless right, and just really hopeless without Jesus. And throughout Philippians, he's going to emphasize how Jesus entered into our story. He died for our sins, and that the thing that we need the most is to be reminded of this gospel truth every single day of our lives. Paul is going to help us with this. Number three, Philippians is a holiness-producing book, all right? Doxa, this letter is going to teach us not to just be church people, but to be Christians that follow Jesus. This letter will teach us how to live like Jesus in light of the salvation that we have from Jesus through faith. All right, Paul is gonna lay out for us the life and the example of Jesus, but hear this. right, he's not just gonna lay this out for us to just observe, but really just to kind of model and live out. right, he's gonna teach us how to strive for godliness in the midst of sin that is in all of our lives. And then the last thing, Philippians is an eternity-pointing book. All right? And what Paul is going to do is he's going to point us towards heaven. And he's going to work to help form a just eternal perspective in our lives, which is going to help us and just empower us to live lives of joy and trust and peace in the midst of hardships of just everyday life, guys. It's going to be great, all right? But let me say this, okay, maybe you're kind of newer to the church, you're newer to the Bible, Christianity, and maybe you find the Bible even at times like, intimidating or hard to understand, here's what I'll tell you. Here's my encouragement. Just read it with us. Read the book of Philippians over the next 10 weeks and just watch how God moves in your life. Listen to what the apostle Paul recognized, like this could be a hard thing. He was talking to Timothy, this young guy that he's traveling with, and here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 7. He says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Guys, a lot of people struggle to understand the Bible, but the biblical writers teach us that God opens up our hearts and our minds to understand the message of the gospel and the truths of God, and honestly, that is how I became a Christian. Did not grow up with a Bible background, didn't grow up with a church background, but I had a friend in my senior year in college invited me to read the Bible with him, and God just opened up my eyes, opened up my heart, and everything changed as we read the Bible together that one semester, And even more, guys, this is how it all got started in Philippi. God opened the mind and the heart of a woman named Lydia, and the world has never been the same. Let's get in this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what we see. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. so this is what we have today. These verses introduce the entire letter of Philippians to us. And here's how we're going to start studying this book and understanding Philippians. Three things we need to consider today. All right, the background, the foundation, and the tone of Philippians. All right, so first, the background of Philippians. Verse 1 again. Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Okay, the Apostle Paul, who we've learned a lot about as we just spent like a year going through the, the letter to First Corinthians, he's, he's traveling, he's writing, all right, with, along with his ministry partner, a younger pastor named Timothy, and he's writing to all the Christians in this city called Philippi. So let me just give you a little bit of background on the city of Philippi, all right, because Philippi was actually a very important Roman city. It was not like a very large city, but it was just rich in Roman history. All right, this is the place where Philip of Macedonia, the father of Alexander the Great, founded it. All right, it was also the place where Mark Antony and uh, Octavian Augustus killed the, the people who assassinated Julius Caesar. So this was rich in Roman history. It was a very important place. It was a very strategic place, but it was a place that the gospel had not yet been introduced. But it was very spiritual, And in the city, there was a lot of witchcraft, there was a lot of religions, there was a lot of spiritual things happening, but there was no knowledge of Jesus. And this is the city that the first church in Europe was started. And if you want to learn the background of this, you can look at Acts chapter 16, but in Acts 16, we see the Apostle Paul, he's on his second missionary journey, and he's got plans to visit all these churches that he had started to really just encourage them. But as he goes on this traveling, all right, he uh, experiences some opposition. The Holy Spirit kind of redirects him to a little place called Troas, all right? And he arrives in Troas, which is just nowhere near any place that he ever thought he would be. But that night he's there, he has a dream. And in that dream, a man from Macedonia, which is the place where Philippi is located, shows up and basically says to Paul, come help us. We need your help. And so Paul and the people traveling with him in Acts chapter 16 verse 9, they conclude that God was calling them to go to Philippi to preach the gospel. And this becomes like a watershed moment. I mean, this is one of the biggest turning points in the history of the world as the first church in Europe is planted and started, and which is one of the reasons why we sit here today. But this was not an immediate thing, all right? This was not like, oh my gosh, Paul plants a church and all of a sudden they have a building and hundreds and thousands of people because there were no Christians. There were no Christians in Philippi, right? As Paul, he shows up in Philippi around 51 or 52 AD and as he pulls into town, his custom was to first go and start with the Jews and so he would look for the synagogue. But as he goes into the city, he realizes there is no synagogue, because in this time, in order to establish a synagogue, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men that could establish a synagogue. There were not 10 men that believed and worshiped God. And so there was no synagogue there, there was no really people there that were worshiping God. But he just keeps on going. A couple days later, what we see in Acts 16, 13, is he goes outside the city one day and he sees a small group of women outside the city walls praying to God. And so Paul, he goes over to him, he meets him, he shares the gospel, and then things just start to change pretty rapidly. And the first convert to Christianity was a businesswoman named Lydia, all right? And she heard the message of Jesus that Paul preached about his death and his resurrection. She comes to faith. With her household. They're baptized right then and there, and this is the beginning of the Philippian church. Now, along with Lydia and her household, there was also a demon possessed girl in the town, in the city of Philippi. And she was as she was possessed by this demon, she had these demonic powers of being able to predict the future. She could do all types of fortune telling type thing. But all of a sudden, she hears the gospel, she becomes a Christian, the demon leaves her, she loses her demonic power and ability to do this. As a result, the guy who was basically taking advantage of her, owned her, and was making money off of her, he gets ticked because he loses his income stream, and he has Paul arrested, beat up, and thrown in jail. So Paul goes to jail. God sends an earthquake to liberate Paul. And in the midst of this, the Philippian jailer who had just beat Paul and was watching Paul has a conversion experience and becomes a Christian as well. So guys, you have to understand the Philippian church started with a few women, an abusive jailer, and a formerly demon-possessed girl. It's crazy, but this is how the church started. I'm hoping that this is not going to be the start to our Osaka church plant or Ann Arbor, but you know what? be praying for him because it could be you know it's we hopefully we have a little bit better situation than that but because be praying for those church plants but this is how paul starts this church this small group of people and then more and more people begin putting their faith in jesus and after some time paul leaves to go preach the gospel in another place but as he leaves the philippians were so thankful for paul and so overwhelmed by the grace of god that they provide money and resources for paul and his journey ahead of him to start more churches. If you fast forward like ten years, ten years later, Paul is writing back, and that's where we get the letter of Philippians. He's writing back to this church that he loves. And in this letter, he's Paul is actually sitting in Rome in prison, awaiting his execution. And he's writing the Philippians to just thank them for like supporting him, for taking care of him from encouraging him, and he was encouraging them to persevere in the midst of oppositions, to seek unity with each other, and then to continue to live their lives in a way that was worthy of the gospel. So you're going to see, guys, this is a very different letter than the letter of 1 Corinthians that we just got done studying, right? I mean, 1 Corinthians, like, they were all crazy, right? Sleeping with each other, like, a bunch of weird stuff happening, and Paul is like, I mean, he says stuff like, I am writing this to your shame, (laughs) right? He's like, you should be ashamed of yourself. You guys are terrible. So the Philippians, he's basically like, you know what? You guys aren't bad. I love you. You know, I love you so much. Keep going. Like, here's a a hug through the paper, you know, and he just is going to encourage them. All right, so this is the background to Philippians. Now, the second thing we need to consider is the foundation of Philippians, or the big emphasis, the big category of Philippians. Look back to verse 3. Paul says... I thank my God in all remembrance of you, every, or always, in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in, and I want you to circle this in your Bible, the gospel. In the gospel, from the first day until now. Doxa, the primary concern of Philippians is the gospel. It's the advancement of the gospel. That as Paul is writing to the Philippians, and he's seeing the pressures of like various kinds kind of, coming from culture, coming from society, gathering around this church. He wants to stabilize these Christians in Philippi that he's come to love so much. And everything he says goes back to the gospel. All right, look back to chapter one. I want you to look back and just notice how frequently the word gospel appears in just this first chapter. Verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse seven, I hold you in my heart for your partakers of grace with me both in my imprisonment and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. In verse 12, he says that what what has happened to him actually served to advance the gospel. And Paul wants nothing more than verse 14, that the gospel would be proclaimed. In verse 15, his only concern was that the gospel was being preached. Then a little further, in verse 27, he says, no matter what happens, live your life in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Striving together for faith in the gospel doc so this is a book that is all about the gospel, and that is worthy of a pause, all right? Because in that word, there's, this is a word that so many people think they know, but oftentimes don't. And so even if I asked you, like, what is the gospel? I mean, what would you say? Just think about that. A lot of people especially if you've grown up in or around the church and you've kind of been around the religion thing, you might have heard that word a thousand times. And you might have the thought of the gospel as really just kind of like the part of the Bible which kind of just like tips you into Christianity and tips you into a relationship with God. But then you kind of move on past the gospel and you get into like really in-depth Bible studies and you really get into the deeper things and the deeper truths of what the Bible has to offer us. Some of you think that. Other people in thinking about the Gospel will say, well, it's kinda just like everything that the Bible says, right? And these people will confuse the Gospel with the Gospels. And they'll just kinda think like, it's just everything that the Bible says. So like the Great Commission, it's like Jesus' commands to love people, to take care of people, to do justice type work, that's the Gospel. But here's what you need to know, or be reminded of. That's not the Gospel. It's not the gospel those are implications of the gospel but it's not the gospel guys the gospel is a good news it's good news to be proclaimed it's the good news of what God has done for us through the man Jesus Christ and the gospel is the foundation of the entire Bible in which coming to Jesus and being saved by Jesus and growing with Jesus and living life Jesus living like Jesus and then meeting with Jesus after death this is where it all comes from The gospel is the foundation that the Christian life stands on. It's the foundation that shapes everything that we do here at Doxa. It's the foundation that controls how we preach and how we live and what we do as Christians. The gospel controls everything. Everything is ultimately about the gospel. And the gospel is what God has done through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And just so we're all on the same page, I want to give you the gospel in three words that you can write down. God saves sinners. This is the gospel, and we need to hold tight to this, because this is the most important thing. This is the, what every page of your Bible is ultimately about. God saves sinners. Let me just walk through this, all right? Everything starts with God. His love, his grace, his actions towards us, that our lives, guys, the world that we live in, Regardless of what the world tells us, it doesn't revolve around us. It's not about us. It's all about the glory of God. And some of us in here, we live in a very egocentric way, a very narcissistic way that we think everything kind of revolves around us. But actually, that's not the truth. The truth that we live in is that everything actually revolves around God. Everything is about the glory of God. But as people, we kind of get this backwards. And this is one of the reasons why we named our church Doxa. Doxa literally means glory. So every time that we say the word Doxa Church, we're reminded that it's not about us, that it's all about God. It's all about his glory. He's the center. He's everything. It all starts with God. But because of sin in all of our lives, which is anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says, we are unable on our own to be with this God that life and everything is all about. That God had to save us. And at just the right moment in the midst of humanity's sin and rebellion that separates us from God, Jesus Christ, the God-man, steps into human history and he lives and he dies in my place for my sin. See, the Bible shares that the, the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death, which is the terrible conscious reality of hell. And Jesus, out of his love and through his death and resurrection, makes a way. The only way. Not just a way. He makes the only way for us to come back to God and avoid the terrible reality of hell, which is just eternal separation from God. That's through faith... When we come to Jesus, he takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness, and we're brought back to God where sin no longer has the last word and directs our eternities, but Jesus has the last words. And what does Jesus say? It is finished. That it's not about us anymore. It's all about the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And because of this, guys, we don't have to fear sin and death anymore because Jesus, through his resurrection, has conquered everything. Satan, sin, death, and hell, and we are his. This is the gospel that Paul proclaimed. This is the gospel that is the foundation of Philippians. This is the gospel that really just kind of established this church in Philippi. It's the gospel that established Doxa Church. This is the gospel that transforms people who believe into the likeness of Jesus so we can continue what Jesus started. And this is the gospel with its transformative effects that brought Paul an immense amount of joy immense amount of joy and this leads to the last thing we're going to consider this morning and that's the tone of Philippians and the tone is this it is joy joy and this is one of the reasons I think I just love this book so much because I don't know if you're anything like me but life guys Sometimes it's great. Other days it's like, man, I'm just getting kicked in the face every single day. And then I wake up and I'm not getting kicked in the face. And I'm like, wow, this is a good day. And I get kicked in the crotch. And I'm like, geez, come on, right? And I'm just looking for some joy, some stabilizing. And I love this about Philippians. Paul, he's figured out something. He's figured out something. And it's right here in front of us. And we're going to experience this over the next 10 weeks. And he's going to unlock this secret to joy. But this is the tone. Four chapters, he says joy or rejoice 16 times. Joy just kind of radiates off of every single page. And as we go through Philippians, it's a call for us to come to a particular joy that Paul experienced in a really profound way, even as he sat in jail waiting to be executed. And in looking at these opening verses... All right, we can see at least four things that produced an abounding joy in Paul. And I want to go through these four things real quick because it will also cause us to rejoice, which is one of Paul's big goals here. So the first thing that caused Paul joy is that he remembered the transformational power of the gospel. Look at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and I want you to underline this next part in your Bible, to all the saints in Christ Jesus... To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. All right, Paul calls the Philippians, look, saints. All right, now depending on your background, there's different understandings about what a saint is. For example, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, you understand saints that are, are basically like revered people who are officially canonized after death because they've met certain demanding requirements by the Pope. Now, you might have that belief, but the problem with that is that it's not biblical. You don't find it in the Bible. All right, that when we look at the Bible and everything that it teaches, the word saint comes from the Greek word hagias, which literally means consecrated one or set apart or holy. And so scripturally speaking, what this means is that if we are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you are a saint, okay? You guys know that I don't like you calling me like Pastor Rob, it's just Rob. But if you want to call me Saint Rob, I'm totally cool with that. That's got a good ring to it, right? But you are a saint. This is your identity. And that little prepositional phrase that Paul uses here, he uses it a hundred times. A hundred times, over a hundred times throughout his letter. And it's so important for us to understand. And it leads to so much joy in his life. But in Christ, I need you to understand, in Christ is very different from being in church. Do you get that? Church doesn't save you from your sin. Doxa Church will not make you a new creation. Church will not bring you to God. And I've said this before and I'm gonna keep saying it, but guys, you could be born in the church, you could be baptized in the church, you could be married in the church, you could have your funeral in the church, but you could wake up in hell. Because it's not that church and religion save you, but it's only that Jesus saves. It's only Jesus. It's always Jesus. And to be in Christ means that you believe Jesus. It means that you believe that Jesus lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. And through faith, he's taken away your old life of sin. And he's given you a new life of righteousness that he has made you holy in God's sight through his grace and his sacrifice for you, and now you are set apart for kingdom service, a new life, a saint. And as Paul wrote to his friends in Philippi, guys, he was just filled with joy because he remembered what God had done in their lives. Because remember how this church got started, right? There was a few women, a demon-possessed girl, an abusive jailer, all of them far from God, Definitely not close to being saints, but now Paul remembers them, and how the gospel came with power, and salvation, and transformation literally made them new, and he said, you are a saint, and it brought him joy because he sees what the gospel does. Has anybody been made new by Jesus in here? I mean, you guys don't know who I used to be, but I'm thankful. (laughs) Like, It doesn't even make sense. This is what the gospel does. And we're still standing here broken, but we are redeemed broken people, completely radically new because we are in Christ. And if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus and he has made you new and forgiven you of your sin and given you a new identity, guys, this should invoke some like joy in you. Real joy. Remember what God has done for you and in you, that once you were an object of wrath, you were an enemy of God, you were destined for hell because of your sin, but God in his loving kindness looked at you in the midst of all of that sin and said, that one, I love that one. And Jesus died so that you could come to him and now you are a child of God, a saint. Not because of anything you've done, but by the grace of Jesus. Doxa. Does this just make you want to sing? Does this make you want to worship? Right? I mean, come on. Like, if we were more Pentecostal, like, this is when the music starts playing and everybody starts clapping and the flags come out and all this, right? But we just kind of sit here. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Right? No, this is exciting. This is all of it. We should consistently be amazed and filled with joy as we remember this great reality. And for those of you who are here And you're in church, but you're not in Christ through faith. I love you enough to tell you this, but you're in a dangerous place. But there's good news of great joy for you today. That Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose, and he did it for you. And he's brought you here to save you so that you can become his kid, a saint. Don't stiff arm this offer. It's what you were created for. It's what you need most in life. And Paul is filled with joy because he knows that God is a Savior. And he's faithful. It's all about Jesus. Verse 2, it's his grace. He says, grace be to you, right? And then seven times in these 11 verses, Paul uses the word Jesus or Christ. He's, kind of, he's constantly like, guys, it's joy because of Jesus. Now, the second thing that he Paul gave or gave Paul just joy is this, is partnership around the gospel. All right, verse three. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Circle that in your Bible, partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, and skip down to verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of jesus christ all right here's what paul's saying paul's just saying i'm filled with joy as i think about you and the life that we share together and this word partnership in verse 5 is is the word koinonia which literally means just to have something in common with another person to to bond them together and in philippians koinonia refers to gospel-centered friendships all right, which includes gospel-centered mission. And Paul is filled with joy because of the gospel friendships and mission that he shared with the Philippians. And while all of humanity, because of God's grace, his common grace, regardless of faith, all of humanity can, uh, can experience and, and enjoy friendships, gospel friendships are different. All right, C.S. Lewis, in his work, Four Loves, he, he said it like this, that true friendships are started and discovered when you say, wait, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. Friendship is based on commonality. And gospel friendships are much deeper because the commonality that we have is around an eternal savior. And gospel friendships are different because because as we live life together and we try and love each other and care for one another and serve one another and annoy each other, we do all of this Not empowered by our own love and grace that we have in our life, but empowered through the Holy Spirit who gives us His love to love each other like that and causes a deeper rooted friendship. And Paul is thinking about this relationship that he had with the Philippians, and he's just so thankful. He's thankful for that friendship, but he's also thankful for the mission that Koinonia revolves around. And here's what I mean by mission Doxa, it's more and more people meeting Jesus. Because does it bring you joy to see someone come to faith in Jesus and find salvation? When we do baptisms, like, do you get excited? I mean, I tell you to throw stuff and yell all the time, but you just do that to appease me, or is there like a genuine joy because you're excited about this? One of my heroes in the faith, one of the greatest preachers in the history of the world, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he once said, if you have no desire for someone to be saved, you might not be saved yourself. And his whole thing was, there's no way that you can experience the love and the grace of Jesus and the transformative effects and not want somebody else to have that. It changes everything. And when we experience this love and grace, guys, it just causes us to want to give that away. And it brings me so much joy to be part of the Doxa family with you, partnered in the gospel partakers of grace on mission together with the hope and the prayer that many others in Madison will come to know Jesus like we do. Amen? It's joy. The third thing that brought Paul immense joy, and guys, I love this. It's the faithfulness of God. Look at verse six. This is great. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is doing here he's showing us even more reasons for his joy and he's saying it's rooted in the fact that god is faithful all right the philippians were faithful to paul even though they were separated from him and while paul was in jail they kept providing for him and sending him things that he needed and the reality that paul shows us is that much in the same way that the philippians were so faithful to paul god is always faithful to us amen he is and what paul is pointing to is that we can have confidence in our salvation that God who saves us will never leave us or let us go. And what he does here, in some ways, he gives us a brief explanation of what a real Christian is. All right? A real Christian perseveres. And this hits on some theology and focuses on the doctrine of grace. But what this means is that if we come to Jesus in faith and continue to follow him throughout our life, we can be confident that we are saved that we cannot lose our salvation. Theologically, we call this the perseverance of the saints. And to persevere literally means to continue on in the faith. The Bible teaches that if you are really a Christian, you're gonna keep walking with Jesus. Now hear me on this, it doesn't mean that you don't sin, it doesn't mean that you don't mess up, it doesn't mean that you don't struggle, but what it does mean is that you repent and you just keep on keeping on with Jesus every day of your entire life. And some of us, we've asked this question, we've struggled with questions like, well, a friend of mine or a family member, you know, they said that they were a Christian but they're not really walking with God today. Did they lose their salvation? Here's what I'll say. The answer is no. Because it's not that we lose our salvation because Jesus never loses Christians. Romans chapter eight, John chapter 10. The question is, were they ever really a Christian? And honestly, that is not for us to talk about. (laughs) Like, that's not for us to decide, and it's not for you to look at that. Definitely not a Christian. Who knows, right? That's on God. But I can tell you this, for you personally, by persevering, by continuing on, by walking with Jesus every day, this is the only way to really have true, deep, and a solid confidence and assurance in your salvation. All right, that if you're walking with Jesus today and you're walking with him tomorrow, you don't have anything to worry about because you're persevering. And God is faithful. He began a work in you and he'll finish it. Because God doesn't start stuff he doesn't finish. He's a finisher. Let that encourage you as you navigate a life of just sin and suffering. He will never leave you or forsake you. He doesn't give up on you because you mess up your your relationship with god is based on grace which means you didn't deserve it in the first place so you can't do anything to lose it because you didn't deserve it in the first place he's a finisher and so if you're wondering has god given up on me you're looking at your life and it's a mess and you're not being faithful to god you're here it's awesome you're welcome has god given up on me here's the answer verse 6 he who began a work in you will bring it to completion it's a promise he's that good and then lastly Paul is filled with joy because of the provisions of God. Verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Right? Paul ends this introduction to this letter by just praying for the Philippians if you look, he prays that their love for one another would continue to grow, that their knowledge of God would continue to increase, that they would be able to understand what it means to live their lives in a God-glorifying way, that they would be filled with righteousness, meaning that they would just be morally pure and stand out as a light in like a dark world. And as he prayed, I want you to hear this. Guys, Paul knew that his prayers were not just coming out of his mouth and stopping at the ceiling, but they were falling on the ears of God who was listening who is a provider and a helper who would cause and help all of this to happen. And this is one of the reasons why Paul had so much joy. Because the hope that he had was not in the Christians in Philippi. He loved them and thought that they were great. But as he prayed this, he's not thinking like, these are the super Christians, the jacked up ones in Corinth, not so much, but the Philippians, they got a good shot. No, it's the same God. And his hope was in Jesus. Look at verse 11. He says that all this would come through who? Jesus, it always comes back to Jesus. Doxa, we have a loving and powerful God who is able to do far more than anything we can think or imagine. And we have the great gift of a Father in Heaven who listens and provides. And I have the great joy of reminding you that your prayers don't land on the deaf ears of an impotent King In God. God is powerful and He's good, He's Father. And do you see why Paul has so much joy? Are you seeing this? Because if we actually understood all this stuff, as Paul does here in these first 11 verses, because we would be in constant amazement, just filled with joy. We'd be like those people on those viral videos. You know, the color, they're colorblind, and all of a sudden someone gives them those special glasses, and they see color for the first time, and they're just overwhelmed. And they're crying and they're freaking out filled with joy and they're seeing color for the first time we would be like that if we actually understood this if we would wake up in the morning and just be reminded of like oh my gosh I'm going to heaven how amazing is that my sin has been forgiven Jeez, my life that was just a hot mess of abusing people and taking advantage of people and sinning That doesn't define me anymore. Jesus defines me. Holy cow. That's amazing. Guys, we would be in constant amazement every single day. And this is what Paul wants to produce in us throughout Philippians. To remind us of this gospel. To help us see Jesus and how good he is. And that's my prayer for us. Doxa, we're going to take hold of these truths just like Paul and rejoice with great joy. God, thank you for the life of Paul, a guy who just ran away from you, who did things just in opposition to who you are in the gospel, who hated and was involved with killing people, and then, but Jesus, your love, your grace, that doesn't even make sense, broke in and just flipped his life on end, and you used him in a great way, such to the extent that we're sitting here, to, here today hearing about this gospel. And so we just say thank you for Jesus. God, would you cause all of us, as we study through this book, to just remember the great joy that we have because of the gospel. Even as we just navigate through life and can be just taking things head on, day after day after day, We know that happiness is contingent on circumstances but this steady joy that comes from the gospel is what we all want and it's what we need and so give us a perspective on that let us remember the things that gave paul joy that can give us joy and cause us to rejoice jesus thank you for saving our lives thank you for taking our sin thank you for bringing us to the father God, for those who are in here that have been following you for a long time, would Philippians just be an opportunity to reinvigorate their faith? Would you just give a fresh revelation of the gospel? Wake, wake up the sleepy Christians in here. And for those who don't, do not know you, but you've brought here, that we pray that they would just have their eyes open to you, their hearts warm to you, that they would realize how much you love them and what you've done to save them and just cause them to come to you, to be born again, to be a saint. Jesus, we love you.